This is a podcast for Partnerships for Wellbeing. Hello, I'm Jeff Szynski, welcoming you to this special edition of Ways to Wellbeing, coming to you from the brand new Festival of Walking and Wheeling here in the heart of Inverness. As you can tell, we have a live and lively audience here at Eden Court Theatre. And as it is the Walking and Wheeling Festival, we're calling this episode, These Books Are Made for Walking. And our guest this time around is an author who extols the virtues and the benefits of both walking and cycling as part of her creative process. Her latest publication, The Bookseller of Inverness, is a gripping historical thriller set in the aftermath of the Battle of Culloden. As well as offering a rattling good tale of intrigue and potential betrayal, it also paints a vivid picture of 18th century Inverness and you can't but help notice the attention to detail born clearly from painstaking research. Its author, S.G. McLean, we're going to be over familiar and call her Shona. Shona, welcome to the festival. Please welcome Shona McLean. So, Shona, the first question I have to ask you, given uh, the, the, the nature of this festival, is how did you get here today? I got here on my bike. I cycled here today. Can you prove that? <laughs> well, the bike's outside and my backpack's up there with my helmet, so... <laughs> yeah, well, circumstantial evidence. Now, how far was that cycle? Uh, about 13 miles, maybe, 13, from, 14, from, from Conanbridge. Over the Kessel Bridge? Yes. Uh-huh. That's quite a journey. You know, you must have been checking the weather this morning. I was checking the weather, yes. Because I, uh, I was determined to do it, but I was really glad it wasn't really windy or wet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, we invited you here today because a few months ago I was at the launch of the bookseller of Inverness at Waterstones in Inverness. And I remembered you say so you said you, about your love of walking and cycling and how it plays a part in when you're kind of researching locations. Yeah. Tell yeah. us how that works. Well, um, for all of my books, um, the, the way I get to know a setting really is by walking it. Um, my previous books were set around Banff and Aberdeen and then there's a series set in London which goes to Oxford, York and Bruges um, and so I spend a long time looking at old maps, studying old maps I draw maps myself of, of the places I'm writing about but then if I can I go and I walk the routes that my characters would take to try and absorb the atmosphere um, in the place because uh, oh, what's his name, Ackroyd um, can't remember his first name uh, wrote, wrote a book uh, called London, the biography mm-hmm. and he spoke about different areas of London having their own essence that lasted through the centuries and I think you can really pick that up if you, if you walk around a place um, you can pick up the essence, the buildings might have changed, the, be different individuals there but but places quite often retain their essence. Yeah, I, I was going to ask, you must see, or do you imagine how things used to look? Can you do that in your brain, having looked at the map and then gone to the location? Yeah, I, I try and work it out, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll access any old illustrations or any old photographs of places before they were knocked down, like Norman Newton's book Lost in Inver- Inverness was really, really useful for me when I was... Um, 
writing the bookseller of Inverness. So, I yes, I, I create a, a town in my mind, as, as I think it would have been, and I set my characters to play in that town and hope that when the reader comes to read it, it'll persuade them, you know, they'll believe it as Inverness or London or York at the time. Well, I, I certainly found that the case reading the bookseller of Inverness. I was immediately immersed in in that that period of, of history for uh, Inverness. Do you feel a wee bit like a time traveller? Um, a wee bit. I think it's more, I think I'm in the wrong time now, you know, because <laughs> um, I've, I've always just been a daydreamer, really, mm. and... Even when I was little, I was I was fascinated by anything that looked old or by by strange old sounding names. And I spent um, from the ages of three to twelve, we lived in Ballantore in Easter Ross, and we moved there when it was still a, a functioning salmon fishing village. You know, a couple of years before the oil industry came, and. You know, many of you probably know about the, the Pictish stones of um, Nig, Shandwick and Hilton. Um, and so when I was little, we believed that they were uh, the, the gravestones, the grave markers of Danish princes. So, you know, even when I was little, I was very conscious of, of the past and the stories of the past, and they really fascinated me. That's quite unusual for a child, don't you think? I think I probably was quite <laughs> unusual in that. I mean, I remember being on a, a church holiday and we um, we went to visit the, the National Museum um, in Edinburgh, and I spent my pocket money on a facsimile of the last letter of Mary, Queen of Scots, and I was about nine at the time. You know, this is quite a hard thing for a nine-year-old to buy. Um, now, yeah. no, I don't want to take a sinister turn here, but when you talk about going to these locations and getting a sense of the, your characters, mm -hmm. it's exactly apparently what uh, murder squad detectives do when they're investigating cold cases. They get They're, they're told to get out behind, from behind their desks and go to the location and then something might click. Yes, maybe I... you should have taken that as your... Uh, yes, maybe. <laughs> as your yeah. career. Now, when I was reading the bookseller uh, of Inverness... Um, I was. Um, the funny thing is, as part of our festival, I'd been out recording kind of videos, and I was out uh, with Liam Shan. Where's Liam? Is uh, he's over there? Uh, who does a, a kind of ghost walk mm -hmm. around the town? And then, when I was reading your book, I was so immersed in Church Street, uh, and because Church Street is probably one of the oldest streets in uh, Inverness, yes. um, when you walk down Church Street. Are you walking? Are you seeing it the same way we would see it? Um, I probably am. Most I had to work quite hard to try and re-envisage it in, for the 18th century. You know, because I know Inverness, or I, I've known Inverness since mm. I was little. With with other places like, say, London or York, I hadn't known them, so I could invent the you know 17th century town but with Inverness I had to find the 18th century towns so had to scrape away the 20th 21st centuries um but it was that it was that whole thing of atmosphere and the spirit of a place that you know I've got the idea for for the book in Leakey's um yeah. to start with when you know I read that that, that the ghosts um of the Jacobites who'd been imprisoned there were supposed to inhabit the place and and so then it I was very aware of a sense of the people of the past in that part of Inverness. I won't touch too much on the story in terms of spoilers, but you do give a sense of those years after Culloden 
And not everyone was enthralled to the Jacobite cause no. in Inverness. No. Um, in fact, Inverness was, you know, it was a trading town, so they, they didn't want upheaval. Most Invernesians didn't want upheaval. Um, and, you know, many of the Jacobite clans would come from outside the town. Inverness was was really a, a kind of lowland town in, mm. in many ways, although people would have spoken both English and Gaelic, but you know, most of the Gaelic would be spoken out outside the town. Um, so by no means were all Invernesians keen on the Jacobite risings. Yeah, it reminds me, I remember reading that as the uh, as Prince Charles' army marched further south, they kept encountering this kind of apathy, you know, by the time they got to mm -hmm. Glasgow, which was another big city where people were making quite a lot of money in, yeah. in trade, thinking, well, we can't really be bothered with this kind of nonsense, you know. And by the time they get over the border to England, the expected furore and passion that they were expecting to, to take them all the way to London just didn't manifest itself. Yeah, it wasn't know. there. Right. Mm. So anyway, um, you mentioned research. Again, one of our partners at this festival has been Inverness Library. Yes. Uh, I know you make good use of libraries, yes. but there was some difficulty because when you were writing this book, I think the library was closed because of COVID, is that because, right? Because of COVID, yes. Um, and so the, there were, you know, most books you can get hold of online from second-hand book dealers and things like that. Um, but there was a, a book, there is a book called Old Inverness Booksellers that a friend, uh, Jennifer Morag Henderson, told me was in the reference library. And, and this, the thought of this book was like sitting on my shoulder all through the writing of the bookseller of Inverness. I thought, what is in this book? But Old Inverness Booksellers, I need to, you know, I need to know. But of course, um, reference libraries weren't, accessible at that time and I you know I've, I've since um, you know talked to a librarian and they said oh we'd have tried to help you out you know um, but I just didn't like to, to do well I'm an author so I you know I should have access do you know to things I do you know well <laughs> um, so I couldn't get at this book yeah. um, and but the reference library did open very shortly before I had to submit the book uh -huh. so I did manage to get in and see it and it was a very very thin little um, volume and, and although the earliest bookseller they found in Inverness was 10 years after my book was set it was, there was nothing in it that I found catastrophic. So. A bit of an anticlimax after all. It, it was but it was a relief, it was a relief yeah but so there were things like that, things I couldn't access um, as easily as I would have been able to in other circumstances. Okay. Now you've kindly agreed to give us a, a bit of a reading and, and, and I asked for something that would um, evoke the streets of Inverness uh, yes. at, at that period and you've chosen a, a section for us. Yes, well this is very near the beginning of the book. Um, the main character is the bookseller uh, Ian McGilvery. He's 36 years old. He'd suffered badly, he, he was a Jacobite, suffered badly at the Battle of Culloden um, and lost, lost friends. Um, and this is, six, this is six years later. He's just trying to get on with his life day by day as a bookseller in his shop somewhere near the bottom of Church Street in Inverness. Um, he lives on Church Street with his grandmother, who's a great Jacobite lady, and they live in a house that might be envisaged as somewhat like Abertarf House is. Um, so this is a Saturday morning, and he's walking down to open up his shop. 
Ian collected his mended coat from the housemaid and shrugged it on as he walked through the courtyard before stepping out of the gate into the street. A breeze from the river carried with it a whiff of the tannery and Ian felt the old longing to be in Strathnairn with his cousin Lachlan. But Lachlan's lifeblood had seeped long ago into the soil of Dramosi Moor where he lay still with half of their clan at the Well of the Dead. Ian set his shoulders and walked more quickly, ignoring housewives and kitchen maids coming from small lanes and back courtyards with baskets over their arms or bundles of laundry on their backs. He ignored the dogs wandering down the street and they ignored him, set as they were on making for the town middens to see what pickings might be had before the scaffy men got at them. They were lean, hungry things, not like the two terriers Aeneas kept to see to the rats that were so hated by Ian's grandmother. Some officers of the government's military survey were passing by on the other side of the street. Major Thornley, who originally came into the shop in search of mathematics books, or for drawing materials, or to have some old damaged volume rebound, gave Ian a brief nod, which he returned. There were not so many there were not many redcoats, officer or otherwise, whom he would even acknowledge, but Thornley was one of them. Donald Moore, too, too, took extra care when preparing materials for him. An honourable man, and damned few amongst them, Donald would say, whenever Ian brought in a commission from the Major. There was little activity yet outside Katrina Lamont's house, and Ian's grandmother had often voiced the opinion that the servants were near as fond of their beds as the mistress. The toll booth, just beyond the Lamont house, gave no clue as to who within it might have summoned his grandmother at so early an hour of the morning. Ian went in the other direction, to the north. To the north, the massif of Benwivis stood immovable against a clear sky, not even a suggestion of a cloud troubling its long, level top. The bookshop was almost at the bottom of the street, a last bastion before commerce gave way to the relentless business of answering to God. Beyond his shop stood the graveyard of the High Kirk, where on Cumberland's orders Jacobite prisoners had been shot dead in cold blood. Then there was the kirk itself, whose ministers had in vain pleaded for mercy for those same prisoners. And at last there was the Gallic church, where the captured of Culloden had been thrown one on the other like rubbish into a pit. Ian's stomach turned every time he thought of it. He would gladly have clambered over the bodies of dying men to be amongst those shot outside, but Cumberland had wanted a goodly number of prisoners to display to the people of London and he'd found himself instead herded on to one of the prison hulks in Inverness Harbour and taken south. Six years ago, his hand trembled as he searched in his coat, coat pocket for the key to his shop. And I hope the audience can now see what I mean by you can't walk down that street again, having heard that description and not think of those things exactly the way I felt after going out on the, the ghost walk with Liam's group, um, exactly the way you feel after doing any kind of research uh, about the places. Now, the, there is a phrase that writers are familiar with about murdering your darlings. You must have come across it. Yes. Killing your darlings, yes. murdering your darlings. About having to leave out bits that you love Yes. because it doesn't it, it gets in the way of the story when you were doing all this research you can just tell you love the research element of the book yes. was there loads you had to leave on the, your study floor yes there was um you know there's 
any of you who've, who've read Inverness history from the 18th century will come, have come across Bailey John Stewart, who was a merchant of the town who left these tremendous letter books that ran for about 47 years' worth of letters. Um, and I read through, I've managed to get into the, the archive. It opened up quite early, and I managed to get in and read his letter book, and there was so much in there that I would have loved to have put in the book. Um, but I had to leave out, and I'd, I'd set a scene of my main, one of my main characters meeting him in a coffee shop on Castle Street, but it didn't actually add anything to the plot. I just put it in there to show that I'd known there was a coffee shop on Castle <laughs> Street at the time, and um, there were other things. You know, I'd taken a trip out to Whitebridge, which I think is just lovely, and I'd, so I had some characters going there and a big uh, adventurous scene there, but again, it completely derailed the plot for a while, so mm -hmm. it had to go... So, yes, you have to be quite ruthless, and then your editor will be more ruthless. Is your editor quite vicious? Oh, she's terrible. She's <laughs> honestly, and, and she does not share my sense of humour. So, I will write scenes that I think are very humorous and really excellent exchanges that, you know, I think over in my head several times and they keep me warm, and then they'll come back, they're all deleted or suggested that they should be deleted. Have so. you ever known an editor with a sense of humour? Uh, no, <laughs> I've had the same editor all the way through. <laughs> so. Now, um, getting back to walking, uh, it is remarkable when you look at um, the work of writers, all the way back from Dickens, you know, mm -hmm. Walter Scott, um, they were big walkers. I mean, they walked for miles to yeah. get inspiration. Stephen King, the horror writer, famously got knocked down you know, um, out, uh, trying to unravel a thought while uh -huh. out, out walking. Is there something you, you think about walking that changes something in your brain that puts you in a different bit of consciousness, do you think? I, I think there must be. I mean, I I have to walk um, twice a day with the dog. Most days I have with a dog, so I, do, I don't have a choice about it. And quite often I'll be sitting at my desk thinking oh, I've got this problem to work out, but I've got to go and walk the dog, and I'll, you know, I wish I didn't have to go out. But I'll go out with the dog, and I won't consciously be thinking of it, but it'll pop into my head, and I'll I'll be able to see through mm -hmm. whatever problem I had, whatever yeah. complexities I couldn't quite sort out. And I think it's because other distractions just go away, and um, your mind can expand a bit. I, I feel like my mind expands yeah. a bit and it's not so cluttered once I'm out. So you unravel plot problems but lose the dog because you're not... <laughs> no, the dog <laughs> is always there. <laughs> okay, now in a moment I'm going to give you some rapid fire questions, uh, Shona, some of which okay. you may be expecting, some of which you may be surprised by. Oh uh, but before that, I'm going to invite uh, some questions for from the audience. And I've explained to them that because this is a festival of walking and wheeling, instead of raising their hands, which we obviously can't hear, or can't see on the podcast, they have to ring a bicycle bell. So okay. let's see if that rings a bell with anyone. <laughs> There's a kind of faint tinkle, bell. I think, yeah. from the... Th <laughs> yeah. Yes, I think this is, this is a troublemaker from our cheery book club, oh. I think. And, uh, uh, it's Francis, isn't it? Uh, before you answer that, just for the sake of the podcast edit, I'll repeat uh, a pressy of that question, which is, Francis is really asking about the location of, of, your, of your books and your stories. In fact, it's something I remember you mentioning yourself at the launch of the book, mm -hmm. that you were 
kind of engaged in a wee bit of a battle with your publishers about your your desire to write books closer to home yeah. in the sense that might not have the broad appeal the publishers were looking for? Um, it didn't until this book came out and, and I know that my publishers have been surprised by how popular and successful it's been outside of Inverness. It's kind of bumped me up the pecking order a bit at mm. my publishers. So um, my, I've got a book coming out in September which is set in York and is a kind of tidying up of the Damien Seeker series. But the book that I'm working on just now is set around Cromarty and the Black Isle in the 1830s. Um, and it's not, all my books so far have been historical murder mysteries. It's not an historical murder mystery, so um, I don't know who will publish it when, when it comes out. It won't be published in the same way that, that these are. Um, so yes, my, my, I hope it might be out uh, late, uh, 2024, maybe early 2025, um, but it's set around Cromarty and the Black Isle, the one that I'm working on just now. Thank you. Any other bells ringing? They're so shy, they're so shy. <laughs> okay, I'm going to hit you with the rapid fire questions, okay. okay? So you don't have to give me long answers, it can be yes right. or no, but if you feel the need to expand on a point, okay. or you go. So here we go. Can walkers and cyclists coexist? Yes, but can, I think cyclists need to be aware of walkers and give them some space and slow down. And have a bell. And have a bell, <laughs> yes. Can walkers and dog walkers coexist? Yes, uh, but as a dog walker, I always get my dog back on the lead when I see bikes come in. Do you have a bell on your bike and do you use it? I do have a bell on my bike. I do use it, although I'm quite hesitant sometimes because it tends to give people a fright. As well as warning them, some people kind of jump, but I do use it. Can you mend a puncture? Theoretically. Um, <laughs> um, it's one of the things that my husband's very good at, so, <laughs> so far he's done it. <laughs> now, who would you like to play one of your characters uh, in a Hollywood movie adaptation? I would like Ian Glenn to be Hector from The Bookseller of Inverness. Oh. Yeah. Why? I just think he'd be perfect for it. I think he's got the, the reddish hair, he, he's got the charm, he's handsome, he's about the right age, and then I could meet him. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only reason you write these books. <laughs> um, is there any interest in adaptation for TV or... or there, there have been a couple of queries about the Seeker series, and there, there was... Um, about two or three months ago, a query about the bookseller of Inverness, the availability of rights for that. But as far as I know, that's as far as um, it's gone. And as you'll know, it, it takes a huge amount of time and a loads and loads of stages before anything actually gets put into production. So there's no sign of that at the well, moment. Well, I, I, I think it would be a brilliant movie because I, I could see it as a movie as I was reading it, you know, so, you know, yeah. beginning with the battle scene and, you know, it's, it's, got, yeah. it's got movie written all over it. Do you, do you listen to audiobooks while walking? Not while walking, no. I, I listen to audiobooks while doing housework, but while walking I don't listen to anything because I've got the dog and I quite like the sounds of the, the birds and all that sort of thing. Will you listen to this podcast? Yes, I will. <laughs> what is the creepiest place you visited in Inverness? The creepiest place? Oh, um, 
I'd say, you know, round about the bus station at night. Um, <laughs> genuinely. Um, you know, but probably Greyfriars Kirkyard. Should we do this festival next year? Definitely, yeah. And you might struggle with this question, but it's your final question, Shona. Who's going to win the cup final, Celtic or Inverness Cali? Inverness Cali. That's the right answer. Shona, thank you very much for being our guest on Ways to Wellbeing. Ways to Wellbeing is produced in Inverness, Scotland by Partnerships for Wellbeing, a registered charity. To find out more about our services, go to p4w.org.uk. Happy to stroll, red.